Welcome to a very special Twilight Zone podcast, produced in association with Cult Labs and Shock Entertainment. Now, as you know, at Cult Labs, we're putting together a Twilight Zone community to celebrate the release of the Twilight Zone on Blu-ray here in the UK for the first time. And I can think of no better person to help us kick this off than the man who quite literally wrote the book on the Twilight Zone, the author of the Twilight Zone Companion, Mr. Mark Zickery. Mark, thanks so much for joining me today. Oh, I'm happy to do it. Thanks so much. Mark, I'd like to start with the Twilight Zone Companion, if I may. Mm-hmm. You bet. Essentially, the, the genesis of the Twilight Zone Companion was um, when I was a child, my favorite television shows were Star Trek, Outer Limits, and Twilight Zone, the very the, the original versions of, of those shows. Uh-huh. And uh, when I was about 16 years old, I, I started going to science fiction conventions, and I met a man named George Clayton Johnson, who had actually written some great episodes of The Twilight Zone, as well as the first episode of Star Trek that ever ever aired here in the United States. Yeah. And we became friends, and by the time I got out of college, I knew I wanted to be a writer-producer working in television, but there were no classes in how to do that. Mm-hmm. So I thought, well, I'll study one of the best shows ever made, and I'll learn how to do that job by by studying the show. So I started by interviewing George Clayton Johnson, and uh, I ended up interviewing over 100 people who worked on the show, and then I got connected up with Rod Serling's widow, Carol, yeah. and she gave me full access to everything uh, of Rod's. So literally, I was crawling through Rod Serling's attic and going, going through his files and his scrapbooks and taking home 16-millimeter prints of the Twilight Zone from Rod's garage. This is just two years after Rod died. Oh, my God. Uh, and, um, and so I, I was 22 years old when I started writing that book, and uh, it's been in print for... Um, decades now, and it's uh, sold over half a million copies. And I, I learned how to be a writer producer because by the time I was 22, 23 years old, I was writing for television, and I've, I've written and produced hundreds of hours of, uh, of network television uh, since. So, so back then in '77, when you started to write it, you know, like you say, the Twilight Zone had finished years earlier. Yes. You know, Night Gallery had come and gone, and unfortunately, Rod had passed by then. I yes. mean, what was the kind of perception of the Twilight Zone at that point? Was it still in people's minds? Yes, it was. It was. It was. It was very popular in syndication. Uh, in fact, in fact, um, <clears throat> after Twilight Zone went off network. CBS uh, convinced Rod that it would never turn a profit, and so he sold it to them for something like a million dollars, and immediately they syndicated it worldwide, and they were raking in the profits, and Rod said that was the worst decision he ever made. He would never make that again, yeah. and uh, he retained publication rights and and um, rights in other media, but but not, not in television, but... Um, but as a result, Twilight Zone was hugely successful, though though it was very difficult convincing a publisher that, that people would want to read a book about a show that had been canceled some years earlier. And so it took two years to sell the book. It was rejected by 25 publishers, and then Bantam published it, and it went on to become a, a big bestseller. Yeah, yeah. So I guess their the thoughts were, you know, who cares about the Twilight Zone anymore? Is that right? <laughs> yes, yes. But, the, but the great thing was, because I did the book um, in the 70s, except for Rod Serling and another writer named Charles Beaumont, all of the writers and directors and actors were still around, so that's how I was able to interview over 100 people, all the key personnel. I interviewed all the producers who worked on the show, um, including and, and the writers, you know, George Clayton Johnson, Richard Matheson, um, yeah. you know, Earl Hamner. So I was able to get to everybody, yeah. I mean, there are some huge names on this list. I mean, on the Blu-ray, there's actually some of those interviews on there, isn't there? Yes. From, uh, from way back then. And, you know, you've got Burgess Meredith, like you say, Richard Matheson, Buck Houghton. I mean, was this quite a terrifying prospect for a young man who'd never kind of <laughs> spoke to these kind of people before? 
Well, you know, it was funny because before I even went to Carol Serling, because I'd heard that Carol, you know, Rod's widow had already turned down major journalists who'd wanted to write about the Twilight Zone and Rod. And, and mm -hmm. I just come out of, uh, you know, UCLA with a degree in painting, sculpture and graphic arts. I'd sold, I'd sold one short story. I'd never even written an article, let alone uh, published one. And so I thought, well, how that's very cheeky of a 22 year old kid to uh, to ask her for the rights to do this book. So I interviewed 30 people who'd worked on the show before I even went to Carol. And she was still at, in Rod's house in Pacific Palisades. It was exactly as he'd left it, left it with the six Emmys and the, the three Hugo Awards and all of those things, the Peabody. And, um, and but I, I told her what I had in mind. And by then I was very sure of myself and very sure of the material. And uh, she clearly called Buck Houghton and George Clayton Johnson, whom I'd already met with. And uh -huh. they must have said, well, we think this kid can pull it off. And I, and I did. I was able to. But uh, I was very, very lucky, and the timing was, was very propitious. And the fun part was that when I conducted those interviews, I interviewed those people on cassette tape because I was going to then tr transcribe it and use it for the book. I had no idea that this material would ever be um, out in the public and the public eye. And, yeah. um, but then when we did the DVDs and then the Blu-rays, and they came to me as a producer, I said, well, we can I've got over 100 hours of that material. And then uh -huh. I said, and I'll also do 50 new commentaries uh, with the people who are still alive and also the people, the new generation that were inspired to create shows like Mad Men and, and so forth because they grew up watching Twilight Zone and loving it. So I was able to reach out to Matt Weiner and Neil Gaiman and, and those kind of people. Oh, wow. I, I knew you did the commentaries, but I didn't realize you were that involved with the Blu-rays. Yes, I was I was a producer on them. And so uh, and I thought there, there's 156 episodes of the Twilight Zone, so I did com new commentaries on 52 episodes. Uh -huh. So it was very fun to revisit that material because in many cases it had been decades since I'd watched them because they're so they're so the episodes are so hardwired into my brain yeah. after doing book i mean literally when they have twilight zone marathons uh, which they do on, on certain holidays here i can watch an episode for i'd say less than a second and know which episode it is and uh -huh. so but then watching them again i came to them with a lot more information a lot more knowledge and and having spent several decades now as a writer producer and tv working on shows like star trek the next generation and babylon 5 and sliders and so forth yeah. i have i sort of have come through the through the looking glass and now and I'm looking back so I can see exactly how those shows were made in a very different way than when I wrote the book when I was in my 20s. Well that was going to be one of my questions actually I mean is there ever a time when you you know you got to spare half an hour or something and you think I'll throw on some Twilight Zone or is it just you know. <laughs> every, now, every now and then I watched Walking Distance not long ago and it's my favorite episode it was it was one of Rod's favorites too yeah. and, uh, and it's just such a gorgeously produced episode it's so beautifully written so beautifully um uh, you know directed and acted and the score by bernard herman is just magnificent and and you watch this half hour or or a show like kick the can uh and you watch them and you just say my god how could you ever write something that perfect and uh, -huh. uh and many of my friends who are also writer producers in television will frequently go back to twilight zone just to re-inspire ourselves and remind ourselves what the medium is capable of and mm -hmm. And it was very fun because uh, recently, uh, as writers, we have to create new material and sort of show pieces, sample scripts. And I wrote a, a, a spec episode of Mad Men, a script mm -hmm. of Mad Men, in which Rod Serling is a character. And uh, it's on my website on Zikri.com and uh, for people to read. And it was very fun because I quote from Walking Distance on, the, on that script and also from another Twilight Zone episode called The Bewitching Pool, which deals with divorce. And... Um, and again, you know, these episodes really hold up. They don't seem quaint. They don't seem, you know, if you go back to certain TV shows, they'll feel very, very dusty and very musty and very kind of of their time. But Twilight Zone really holds up and really still speaks to us in a, I think, an extremely uh, 
primal and, and, and important way. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think, I mean, I was really blown away by how good they look now on Blu-ray as well. Yes. Were you? <laughs> oh, yeah, my God. Well, the great thing is they were shot on 35 millimeter and uh-huh. black and white, and they're gorgeous. And, uh, George Clemens, who was the director of photography on Twilight Zone, had been a cameraman in the golden age of cinema. He was a camera operator on Valentino's Blood and Sand and, and Chaplin's Monsieur Vardou and the Ruben Mamoulian, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde with Frederick March. And so a lot of what he'd learned in those great films, mm-hmm. he then brought to Twilight Zone. And so I think Twilight Zone rep- represents the height of black and white um, cinematography on television. So it's just, and so to have Blu-ray where you've got high definition and you can see that detail, it's just spectacular. We're getting the first season in May over here mm-hmm. and you contribute eight commentaries that you, you feature in on that and you do Walking yes. Distance, The Lonely, Time Enough at Last, Third from the Sun, The Hitchhiker, Monsters of Dew on Maple Street, Passage for Trumpet and The After Hours. Now, yes. If someone came to me and said, what are your favorite episodes in season one? That's probably the list right there. Yes. Uh, you know, yeah. I mean, is is that why you chose them? Are they your, your kind of favorite episodes in that season two? Well, you know, it's so funny because with, with, with the Twilight Zone, there's so many great episodes that choosing... Uh-huh. You know, a, a, a percentage of the of them is is very very difficult. I think I could have chosen almost any of the other ones too, and that would have been just fine. Mm-hmm. But yes, those are among my favorites. And um, and again, also, you know, many of the people I interviewed became friends. Uh, Douglas Hayes, who directed the After Hours, was a very good friend. And when I watched that, uh, I'm just so reminded of what he told me and uh, and the lessons I learned. And Anne Francis, I interviewed her too. She just passed away recently, mm-hmm. and she was so gracious and so warm and so incredibly talented. And you just watch these episodes, and you're just your breath is taken away. Yeah. Uh, eventually, I'll probably do commentaries on all of them, not for a DVD set. I might do something online where people can watch the episode and download the rest of them, because there's about 100 left to do. Yeah. And there's a part of me that feels that eventually I should just do all of them, because my I have such an encyclopedic knowledge of these shows. Uh, I, I have things to say about every single episode. I, I don't run out of material. Oh, great. I, uh, I look forward to that. Um, <laughs> That'll be fun. Yeah. So, but, uh, but, it, but it was great to do 50. Um, and the fun part was, again, with many of these episodes, I reached out to other people, uh, either who, had, for instance, with George Clayton Johnson, we sat down with him and, and got him to talk about all of the episodes he did. And mm-hmm. We sat down with Earl Hamner uh, to do audio commentaries. And with um, and r- there's one great lost episode that's in a later season, the fifth season, called The Encounter. It was an episode that wasn't syndicated originally. It stars George Takei, who later played Sulu on Star Trek. Mm. It's directed by Robert Butler, who actually directed the pilot of Star Trek, The Cage. And I sat down with both of them, and we did an audio commentary on that whole episode with the two of them talking, and they had wow. never talked about doing that episode anywhere. So so that was great. And uh, and then I, I reached out to comic book writers like Len Wein and Marv Wolfman. Uh, Len created Swamp Thing, and Marv uh-huh. created Blade. And, and as I mentioned earlier, Neil Gaiman and I did two episodes uh, later on in the in the series. So... So it was just, uh, I mean, when you see the ripple effect of how many brilliant creative artists in both television and film and books and comics grew up with Twilight Zone and it shaped their their artistic voice, yeah. it's, it's fun to bring them aboard to talk about these shows because, again, they've never talked publicly publicly about Twilight Zone and it's, so it was just... Uh, just pure joy. It was just such fun to, to work on this stuff. It's a 50-year-old TV show now, and at the website Cult Labs, it's you know there's a lot of people talking a lot about a lot of different things. So some of them may read the transcription to this in passing and think, you know, why should I care about a 50-year-old television show? I mean, what what would you say to someone like that? that? Why is Twilight Zone still relevant? Well, I think you know, great art lasts. 
you know, you could say, why is Shakespeare so relevant, you know, or Dickens, you know, or Mark Twain, I mean, or H.G. Wells. I mean, when someone says something about the human condition that's profound, uh, that tends to have longevity. And, and Rod Serling, I mean, it's fascinating because Rod, Rod never wanted to be a science fiction writer. He wanted to be a mainstream writer. And he was writing great dramas, things like uh, Requiem for Heavyweight on Playhouse 90. But the censorship in the 1950s in television here in, here in, in America was so strong that any time Rod wanted to write about race or social issues or politics, he was censored. And his work was mangled to a point where it was virtually meaningless. And so he turned to science fiction uh, just like Jonathan Swift turned to fantasy with Gulliver's, uh, you know, Gulliver's Travels, uh, he turned to science fiction as a way of getting out his statement on the real world where the censors wouldn't notice it. And mm-hmm. so when he, if he wanted to write about conformity, he'd write Eye of the Beholder, you know, or, or you know, and he'd write about many issues that he wanted to write about and, um, and get away with it. So that's, that's why, so Twilight Zone, you know, the question is asked of me, well, once you know what the gimmick is on a, on a specific episode, why watch it again? And the reason is, and, and the reason people do again and again and again, is because these are stories about uh, real people, about people that we can identify with, dealing with issues such as, where do I fit in in the world? Um, what is the nature of reality? What is the nature of life and death? Yeah, I mean, yeah. these are profound issues that all of us deal with day to day. And I mean, you know, an episode like Nothing in the Dark, where a woman is barricaded in, ba- barricaded in her apartment because she's afraid that death will come and and get her. Mm-hmm. And uh, and she's afraid of that. That's that's uh, a parable for all of our lives, you know. So I think what I would say to someone saying who who asked me why why watch something fifty years old, it's because it will it will it will entertain you, it will move you, it will speak to you, it will change you for the better, uh-huh. and it uh, it will leave you with uh, with an experience that you won't forget. Now later in the year, we're also getting here in the UK a re-release of the '80s series on DVD. Mm. Now that's probably considered the most successful of the the revivals over the years, yeah. and but I, I think with any revival, there's this instant hill that they have to climb in the hearts of a lot of people because Rod Serling isn't there anymore, and he was such a a big part of it. He became part of the fiction in a way. Yes. Now, I mean, do you think the Twilight Zone can ever really exist in a form that's going to capture people's imaginations again without him? It's an interesting question, and I actually worked on that later version of The Twilight Zone. I wrote a script called Knife Through the Veil that Doug Hayes, was, who directed Eye of the Beholder and The Howling Man and The Invaders for Twilight Zone, mm-hmm. uh, Doug was going to direct it, and a week before prep, the censors pulled the plug on it, so it never got mm-hmm. made. It's actually, the script's about to be published in an anthology this year, and um, it was a great writing staff. It was Harlan Ellison and George R.R. R. Martin and Alan Brennard and Rock Neil Bannon who created Farscape, but again, it didn't have the magic of what Rod created because he was the guiding spirit. He was the one, um, you know, who kept the tone and kept the vision. Uh-huh. And I, so I think you can do other anthology shows. In fact, I'm even talking to Carol Serling now about a new show called Rod Serling's After Twilight that would be, that would be derived from some, some of Rod's um, uh, unused material. But, wow. you know, and that could be very, very fun. And it would be narrated by Rod from dictation belts that have just been discovered. Rod dictated all of his scripts and all of that material was thought to be lost, and now they've just found 200 of those dictabelts. And oh so it would be God. a show that was narrated by, by Rod. Whether or not this comes to fruition, we'll see. But, yeah. um, but the point is that, you know, if you go back to Rod's inspiration, I think you can create work of, of extremely high quality. But uh-huh. I, think the, I think the bottom line, quite frankly, with anything that one does as a writer is, what do you actually have to say? You know, the question is asked, well, what is most, like, TV about and the re- the answer is well it's about an hour you know it's like because <laughs> it's not about anything um, yeah. so, but 
But if you have something to say and if you think deeply about a subject and if you come to it with compassion and with, and with insight, then you can create lasting work. Mm-hmm. And but I think that's the prerequisite. You have to start with that, with that uh, aim and that intent. Now, there are rumors about Leonardo DiCaprio's production company developing yes. a Twilight Zone film. Is yes. there anything that, you know, you work in the business, anything that you know that we don't know yet? Um, I had a meeting. At one, at one point, I had a meeting with Legendary Pictures, who, who at that point was a partner on the project. Mm-hmm. And I talked to them about what I thought a Twilight Zone movie should be. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I don't know at this point what, at what stage they're at. And the movie will either be good or bad or indifferent. You know, <laughs> it'll be <laughs> somewhere along the scale, you know. Um, I don't. I don't think it's impossible to make a great Twilight Zone movie. I think it's difficult, yeah, and yeah. Um, and you know, again, you know, they tried with the the Spielberg one that had all those separate stories, and some of them were interesting, but none of them were, I think, the equal of the of the original show. Mm-hmm. But um, but I think there are Twilight Zone features that just aren't called that. I think you could say Field of Dreams is one. I think you could say E.T. is one. Close yeah. Encounters is one. So clearly, people who grew up with the Twilight Zone and were inspired by it went on to do movies that were in that vein. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I, and like us, the sixth, the sixth Sense with Bruce Willis is a Twilight Zone movie, but yeah. they're just not called that. But that's definitely what they are. So, yeah. um, so I think we'll see what they come up with. But Leonardo DiCaprio is a talented man, and and the last I heard, Brad Pitt's company was involved in it too. But we'll see. A lot of stuff, you know, never comes to light, and so will time will tell. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, people still come to you and ask your advice on these things, then. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And. Uh, you know, and and I'm happy to talk to people, and um, uh, and it's ongoing. Uh, it's fun to be a world's expert on something of quality. You know, I'm glad, <laughs> glad I didn't write a book about sausages or something. You know, I'm glad. <laughs> you know, because that would have been much less interesting. But uh, but but I'm but I'm very gratified that something that I loved in my 20s is something first of all that I still love now, and also that other people, millions of people around the world, love. And um, you know, it's. Uh, and and one thing that's particularly fun for me is when I meet a young person, someone who didn't grow up with the show, and they start watching it and they love it. You know, someone who's a teenager or or in their twenties. Yeah. That's that uh, that's when it. I have a sister who's nineteen years younger than me, and uh, when she was in college, she started watching Twilight Zone and, and just loved it. And then I knew that the show was really going to last. It was it had stood the test of time. You know, let's say hypothetically they did come to you and say, Mark, you know, you know this, you know this show better than anyone. We need to make this for the modern day. How how would you approach it, do you think? Well, you know, it's interesting. If it was a TV series, what I would do is I would go back to Rod's material, see what, what hadn't been produced. There's a pilot Rod wrote for Twilight Zone called The Happy Place that I would love to shoot. It's uh-huh. about, a, a, it's about a, a totalitarian society of the future where when you turn 60, you're, you're taken to a beautiful, idyllic, uh, retirement community where you're exterminated. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and Rod wrote that back in 1958, and uh, it's a great script, and I'd love to see that get shot. Um, what I would do is I would look at what's in the world today, what's going on that's you know appalling or um, uh, disturbing, or you know I'd, I'd look at the the sort of the unseen corners. You look you look at you sort of you, you look at your own world uh, askance. You look at it from a slant, and you see it in a way that. Um, you tell a story you've never you've never seen before that sheds a light on something about your own world. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, one of my mentors, who, who, whom I'm good friends with, who I see every every few months, is Ray Bradbury. And right. Ray was Ray was a huge inspiration to Serling. And um, and again, it's that thing of writing something that you've never seen before, writing something that only you can tell. So I would just basically gather my friends together who are terrific writers and say, okay, write write at your best, write something that's going to you know blow people out of their seats, but not just for the shock value, but it's going to say something. Mm-hmm. And then you know, then off we'd off we'd go. 
that's that's what I'd do. Now, you spoke about it earlier, but there's that great piece on your site, zikri.com, mm-hmm. that yes. madman script you wrote, madman, yes. <laughs> madman, sorry, script you wrote. So tell us a bit about that. Well, it's um, it's called Walking Distance. <laughs> <laughs> and basically, I wanted to write a new sample television uh, spec, and I, I think I thought Mad Men was a very interesting show. It's set in the 60s, and there was a point uh, when Twilight Zone was canceled that Rod went to meet with the head of ABC to pitch uh, with the idea of ABC would pick up Twilight Zone under a different name, and um, it went very, very badly, and Rod ended up bad-mouthing the head of uh, ABC to the press. And mm-hmm. this is back when there's only three networks. So if you if you anger the heads of the three networks, you're out of a career. Yeah. And um, and so Don Draper, who's the main character in Mad Men, at that point in the show, he had just undergone a divorce and his life was falling apart. And I had the idea that as the head of the ad agency, he seeks out Rod Serling as Rod's meeting with the head of ABC in New York to try to get Rod to be a spokesperson on person on commercials for their clients, their commercial clients. And Rod's at a in a very depressed state of mind, and Don Draper's in a very depressed state of mind, and these two people come together and basically give each other a, a reason to live <laughs> mm-hmm. by the end of the script. And um, and I have a lot of audio tape of Rod Serling speaking candidly in various classes that he taught. So I, so it was great fun just getting his voice in my head the way he really talked, because the way Serling talked um, when he wasn't on television was a lot more earthy and a lot more filled with expletives than when he was on Twilight Zone. <laughs> and... Um, and so it was just a lot of fun writing that. And I found a photo of Rod on his yacht, on his boat, uh, on Cuyahoga Lake in upstate New York. And I, so I put, a friend of mine put Don Draper in the shot. So I've actually got a little shot of, of the two of them talking to each other that's on the website as well. So, uh, mm-hmm. so it, it, the script came out wonderfully well. And the Sci-Fi Channel uh, website actually read it and wrote an article about it, praising it, which was very gratifying. Oh, great. Oh, great. Well, we, we put a link to it on our blog, too. And great. I um, I mean, I'll be honest, I've never seen Mad Men, but I, as a, a pre- you know, someone who appreciates Rod Sailing, I read it last night, and there's so many, um, it, it's just sailing dead on, you know, for someone who knows a bit about Rod Sailing, there's so much in there that you, th- there's all these little bits peppered throughout it, so it's really <laughs> cleverly done. Yeah. Thank you. Well, I, and and as you said, you don't have to know Mad Men to be able to enjoy the script. And everything that Rod talks about is absolutely true. I mean, he talks about his experience in World War II and almost being killed. He talks about, um, you know, his idea for the next show he's going to do, which was a show called The Loner. He talks about um, his, you know, frustrations of writing for the networks. I mean, all of that was absolutely um, spot on. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it, it was also very fun to know that I'm probably the best person of all to write to write Rod Serling as a character. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, <laughs> and, he's... He's, it's funny. I mean, has he ever appeared in fiction before that you know of? Not that I know of, no. And uh, the genesis of this was actually I had an idea for a for a fantasy film where Rod Serling would get embroiled in, in a in a big fantasy adventure uh, uh-huh. set at that time in 1963, and uh, it was called Twilight Man. It was I just outlined it. I never wrote the script, and but because I'd kind of laid the track for the idea of okay, Rod's very depressed. Twilight Zone has just ended. Uh, it's like 1964. And and he gets embroiled in a fantasy adventure and and fights monsters and so forth. But of course, he can never tell anyone because no one will believe him because he's the creator of the Twilight Zone. Mm-hmm. And um, it was just this very fun kind of you know. And I ultimately may write that. I may you know that end up make maybe getting made down the road. But uh, but since I'd already sort of, sort of thought about it when the idea of doing the Mad Men script came about, it was like just a natural to uh, to fold that over. Yeah, yeah. Because he's he's kind of, I guess he's like you know Elvis in a way. He's a pop culture icon. And, yes. and the way he 
appeared in the Twilight Zone was beyond what of a lot beyond what a lot of the hosts of the time were, where they were just presenting the show. He was almost like a, a being from the Twilight Zone, wasn't yes. he? Well, he was. He was. He was. As you said, he was iconic. And the irony is, of course, that initially he didn't intend himself to be the narrator for the show. Uh-huh. Initially, if you look at the uh, on the on the Blu-ray set, we have the original version of the pilot which has the original narration by a guy named Westbrook von Voorhees, who did The March of Time, which was this series of newsreels that were shown in theaters back in uh, the 40s and 50s. And he had this big, booming booming voice, which was totally wrong for Twilight Zone. Then they tried to go get Orson Welles, and they couldn't afford him. And then they were running out of options, and Rod said, well, how about me? And he hadn't done any acting since high school. And so everyone kind of fell out of their chairs laughing, and then finally they said, well, let's try it. And, of Uh course, he he was the perfect choice. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, well, just just before we finish up, Mark, um, you know, apart from being an authority on the Twilight Zone, you are a very prolific writer. And are there any projects you're working on that you think people might be interested in right now? Yes, um, two things that I'm working on now. Uh, I've just written a feature called Fugitive Space, which is a big science fiction film that I'm going to be directing. And uh, oh wow! So I should be directing that in the fall. I just finished writing the script. Uh, my friend Ian McCaig, who designed Darth Maul and Queen Amidala and a lot of the other Star Wars characters, is aboard as one of my artists. And also William Stout, who designed the creatures in Pan's Labyrinth. Uh, so, And I'm also reaching out to Ron Cobb, who was a designer on the original Star Wars and Aliens and Alien and so forth. And um, uh, I'm also doing a book with Guillermo del Toro. Uh, where Guillermo has these amazing notebooks and um, filled with drawings and sketches he's done and ideas. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be a big coffee table art book where we basically have a conversation about that material that runs through the entire entire book. And uh, so he and I have been meeting at various times and having these amazing conversations. So I'm I'm working on those projects as well as other TV and film uh, projects uh, beyond that. So, But that's just some of what I'm up to. Oh, my God. They sound amazing. I mean... I love Guillermo del Toro. He has such an imagination, you know. Yes, he's he's a great guy. He's a big, big, big spirit, and uh, he's just as wonderful in person as you would imagine him to be. And you know, and I also, you know, I'm on Facebook. So if anyone wants to kind of follow what I'm up to, people can, you know, I, I put little entries in because it's a it's a fascinating journey to to be uh, to be working with these these amazing men. I mean, uh, Guillermo is also a huge fan of Rod Serling's work, and uh, you know, all of us are really Serling's children in that way, and. Uh, we're continuing. We're definitely continuing the tradition, all of us. Great, great. Well, Mark, it's been an absolute pleasure, and I, I really want to thank you for speaking to me today. Well, you're very welcome. It's, I've, I've enjoyed it too. So a huge thank you again to Mark for joining us today. And if you'd like to come and check out the Twilight Zone forums and blog, then you can get to us directly by going to thetwilightzone.tv. And we're going to be doing all kinds of Twilight Zone-related things, so come over and check it out and, you know, talk some Twilight Zone with us over there. And those Blu-rays that we've been talking about are available for pre-order now to be released on the 2nd of May. So thanks for listening, and we will see you soon. Bye-bye.